evening, everyone. Good afternoon. Pastor Laurie's just said, I've got a good 20 minutes. Is that a pastor's 20 minutes? <laughs> anyway, um, it's certainly nice to be here. It's always a pleasure to come back to Adelaide. Uh, I always think about this as the Jerusalem of the Fellowship headquarters and certainly have uh, many, many fond memories of our early stages in the walk, in our walk being uh, the Vogue was certainly central to that, even though I got baptised and received the Holy Spirit overseas. Uh, being here at an early stage in my walk certainly cemented uh, many good habits through coming to the fellowship here. So it's always a pleasure uh, to come back here. <clears throat> we've just, uh, in New South Wales and ACT, we've just had our, t- our kids' camp. And uh, it runs over six days, and we have it uh, in between the Central Coast and Newcastle, a place called Morissette. And we had a very, very small camp this year. We had only 40 kids compared to probably 200 that you have at your kids' camp here. So it's a very different beast, so to speak, different machine. And uh, the theme of the camp was God Answers Prayer. And... Uh, it's, we ran it a little bit like a, the, the meetings anyway, a little bit like a convention meeting in the sense that we have our choruses to begin with. But then we have one or two adults come up and give a testimony. Uh, and it's usually like uh, how God answers their prayer when they were a kid. Like, for instance, when they received the Holy Spirit, these are adults that had received the Holy Spirit when they were ch- children, particularly at a kid's camp. And... Um, and then we would have the talk based upon praying to receive the Holy Spirit in line with the theme, God answers prayer. And uh, then at night time we'd have our devotions, which they break into their own cabins, and the cabin leader has been given notes, and the notes all relate to the talk of that morning. And it's just to reinforce and remind the kids of the lessons learned on that particular day. And um, considering it was a very small camp, we had, I would say, the largest times of prayer in the afternoon. We have a, a prayer time or a prayer meeting, and it's uh, non-compulsory. And uh, But kids are in there praying for the Holy Spirit or, or praying for something. Usually it's for the Holy Spirit. And I've been at the kids' camp over the last six years, uh, and I'm... The, the camp pastor there, and we've probably I've probably seen more kids in. Yet this has been the smallest camp. I've probably seen more kids in this recent kids camp in the prayer time um, than I've seen in previous years. And I think it's a direct reflection of the theme being very simple and the fact that you're actually encouraging people that or reminding people that God actually answers your prayer. And it's, it's not just prayers in the Bible that were answered. It's not just mum and dad's prayer or other people in the fellowship or you heard so-and-so who had a friend who had a friend and their, their prayer got answered. It's actually, no, God answers your prayer. And uh, so we're looking at all of these things, God answering prayer to receive the Holy Spirit. One was healing. Uh, we had Katie Moore. Some of you might remember Katie Moore from her time in Adelaide. She was, um, ever since she was 12, she suffered... Uh, symptoms and then was diagnosed later, I think maybe about 30, with endometriosis and she couldn't have children. And um, and then uh, she gave her testimony how she was healed. 
from that. And uh, we also had uh, a testimony of a man who was at work. It was 10 o'clock in the morning and his he was operating a machine and his thumb unfortunately got in contact with this machine and it basically his bone exploded, a router, and the bone exploded and his thumb ripped off. And he's looking at it, the blood's going everywhere, he's looking at it and thinking, I think this should hurt. And he couldn't go into surgery until 10 o'clock that night because he'd only just eaten morning tea. And all of that time, he, his thumb was not hurting at all. And, um, and then he, he prayed to the Lord, he said, one after the operation, he said, Lord, show me what it should have felt like. And he's in bed. And it's, <coughs> some, it's silly, I know. And after he said that, his, he, for some reason, he twitched and his hand, this bandaged up his thumb was all swollen from the operation, went whack! And right onto it and he killed him. And he believed it was the Lord showing him what I saved you from. And he's spoken to many people who'd lost their thumbs. He's got half a thumb, basically. Uh, it's below the, that, um, yeah, it's just after the, that, in between the knuckles there, he, he, and he's got so just got a stub left. And he's spoken to many people who have lost their thumbs in work accidents and they're saying the pain is the most is the incredible pain. And it just goes to show the Lord answers prayer. We also had another gentleman get up and testify at camp how he had been healed from a food intolerance. He loved certain foods, but these certain foods didn't agree with him. Um, I forget which product it was, but he couldn't eat things like red meats or, or, or uh, like types of meats, um, be it sausage and things like this, something oxide in, in it. Anyway, um, he, a friend of theirs in the fellowship came over and said, I want to cook you dinner as a bit of a thank you. And uh, so I said, okay, that's nice. So this brother-in-law came over and cooked them dinner. And they're eating this beautiful stew. And as they're eating it, his wife says, oh, this doesn't have sun-dried tomatoes in it, does it? And it was full of sun-dried tomatoes. It was full of all the stuff that he shouldn't be eating. And within half an hour is usually the time frame that you give for him to then start having a reaction. And the, the symptoms would last about two days. And uh, this brother who'd prepared this meal had no idea. Anyway, so... After the dinner, they're, they're doing the dishes and his brother comes up to him and says, sorry, I, I didn't know, I'm really sorry. He said, let's have some prayer. So he just put his hand and had a short prayer. And they're waiting half an hour, waiting an hour, waiting two hours, nothing. Went to bed, nothing. Woke up the next morning, nothing. At this place, uh, uh, Monday was cheap pizza day at work. So they went and um, got pizzas for lunch and he said, oh, I want to meet lovers. And the colleagues, work colleagues saying, no, 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 don't do that, don't do that. You know, said, no, God's healed me. Oh, no, 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 no. Anyway, he, he tells us he ate the whole pizza. And he was healed of this particular food intolerance. So a mighty miracle. All right, so we're going to look at First Samuel. God answers prayer. Now, prayer is definitely a mighty subject and you could be here all day and all week talking about prayer and looking at all the examples in the Bible. 
But my time's reduced to just one example, and this is of Hannah. And here, first Samuel, the first chapter here. And it says here this guy called Elkanah in verse 2. And he had two wives. The name of one was Hannah. The name of the other was Penina. And Penina had children. And, but Hannah had no children. So this sets the scene. And you can imagine the emotional baggage that would come with this over time. Um, from what I could work out, Penina possibly had five or more children. Uh, it talks about all of her sons and her daughters. Um, so I, I, from that I would imagine that at least five children. And this would go on for, for years uh, where Hannah still could not conceive. And uh, for any woman I, I know that um, that can be, become very stressful and upsetting. In verse 3, And this man went up out of his city yearly to worship and to sacrifice unto the Lord of hosts in Shiloh. And we uh, jump down to 4, And when the time was Elkanah offered, he gave to Penina his wife and to all her sons and her daughters portions. But to Hannah he gave a worthy portion or a double portion. For he loved Hannah, but the Lord had shut up her womb. So here we see this man Elkanah was a, seems to be a righteous man. He was a godly man. He went up year by year uh, to worship the Lord. He loved his, his, his wife, or particularly Hannah there, and he was very generous in showing his love to her. Now, the word Hannah means grace. And even though she was favoured by Elkanah, grace or favoured, the word there Hannah means, she still had this issue in her life. And even though her husband loved her and provided for her, it still didn't take away the effect, the emotional effect of this particular condition. And verse 6, And her adversary, so the other wife, also provoked her sore or very much, for to make her fret, because the Lord had shut up her womb. So to make matters worse, it wasn't just anyone that was provoking her, it was the other wife who I presume they share the same household. In, you know, it's not as though you can move to another town. It's no, this person is living in the same, within the same household. And verse 7, And as he did so year by year, so this is a long-term healing need now, when she went up to the house of the Lord, so she provoked her. So the other wife keeps on sticking the knife in, year after year. You can imagine maybe Penina's had one and then another child and then a third child and maybe a fourth and a fifth and every time they go up to worship the Lord, maybe she's just dropping a comment here or there. And the emotional effect it's having on Hannah's heart is very grievous. And then it says at the end of verse 7, so she provoked her, therefore she wept and did not eat. So it then became having a physical effect on her. Um, she was so stressed out by it. And then said Elkanah, her husband, to her, Hannah, why do you weep and why do you not eat? Why is your heart grieved? 
Am not I better to you than ten sons? So even though he was a godly man and very caring, generous, faithful, he actually didn't understand her particular emotional issue. And this was demonstrates that sometimes only God knows. Sometimes only God understands. Even though he loved her, he, he didn't really understand. Demonstrated here by the questions. In verse 9, So Hannah rose up after they had eaten in Shiloh, and after they had drunk. Now Eli the priest sat upon a seat by a post of the temple of the Lord. Now this is actually not the temple, it's really the tent, the tabernacle. This is before uh, Solomon's time, of course. And she was in bitterness of soul, so he had got to such a point now where it just maybe she thought, I'm always going to be like this. I'll never have children. This is my lot in life. But she didn't like that. She didn't really want that. She was in bitterness of soul and prayed unto the Lord and wept sore or very much, very greatly. And then she makes this commitment to the Lord. In her humbled state and grieving state, she then makes this, not so much of a bargain with God, but she just, I believe, makes a commitment to the Lord here. She vowed a vow and said, O Lord of hosts, if you will indeed look on the affliction of your handmaid and remember me. Now, it's interesting she uses the words here, your handmaid. So this is a evidence, I believe, on her state of humility to the Lord. She is coming at the bottom of the bottom. She's approaching the Lord in absolute humility here. And if you count the number of times she says handmaid, is actually five throughout this chapter. Five times she refers to herself as your handmaid. Nothing more than that. Five is the number of grace. Hannah means grace. Your handmaid and remember me and not forget your handmaid but will give unto your handmaid a man-child then will I give him unto the Lord all the days of his life. So what she's doing here is putting the Lord first. She's saying I'm going to put you first, God. If you do this to me, I'm actually going to put you first. And we know that her commitment was honest and real. Uh, All the days of his life, and there shall no razor come upon his head. Now it came to pass, as she continued praying before the Lord, that Eli marked her mouth. He was the priest. Now Hannah, she spoke in her heart, Only her lips moved, but her voice was not heard. So she didn't even voice, uh, verbalize her prayer. It was just one of deep sorrow and humility from her heart. And it goes to show that God sees our heart and God answers the prayer of our heart. As you believe, Jesus said, so it shall be done unto you. Or as a man thinks in his heart, so is he, says elsewhere. So it's as we believe, it's as it's what we commit to the Lord in our heart that's more important than the words that come out. 
But it also says, out of the abundance of the heart, the mouth speaks. So things originating from our heart. Now Eli had said, um, in verse 14, Eli said to her, because he thought that uh, she'd been drinking, how long have you been drunk, put away wine from you? So we see now the modern day pastor, so to speak, the priest here, Eli, didn't understand her. So we see she's stuck between a rock and a hard place. Her, The other wife is provoking her. Her husband doesn't understand her or can't understand her regarding this particular issue. And then the person that she thought she could trust and would understand is the priest. And he then accuses her of being a drunk and a, ch- a child of the devil. And so it's really up to the Lord now to do something. And if we jump down, verse 16, count not your handmaid in this conversation she has with Eli for a daughter of Belial, for out of the abundance of my complaint and grief have I spoken hitherto. And Eli answered and said, go in peace. The Lord, uh, the, the God of Israel grant you your petition that you have asked of him. Now there's no record that I see in this passage at least of her actually telling Eli what the prayer request was. Eli probably quickly did a 180 and realised, whoops, I've made a bit of a judgment, an error in judgment here regarding Hannah and maybe could see after all that she was a, a, a virtuous woman and uh, could see that she was grieving and maybe because of that could tell that this woman was earnestly praying unto the Lord and was genuine. But there's no record of what she, of her actually saying what the petition was, what the request was. What we see in the next verses here is that maybe the real healing took place. It wasn't the physical healing of her ability to have children, but it was the healing of her heart. And we see here in verse 18, and she said, uh, Let your handmaid find grace in your sight. And so the woman went her way and did eat, and her countenance was no more sad. Now remember, she couldn't eat beforehand because it was eating her up so much. Not a deliberate pun. But it was consuming her so much that she couldn't eat and it affected her in such a bad way. But now, upon Eli saying, you know, may the Lord, may the God of Israel grant you your petition, she goes away light, no longer sad, so maybe happy, and she can eat. And so her emotional state has just been totally reversed. This is before she's actually been physically healed. And often it's our attitude that needs the real healing, not the physical side of things. And sometimes the healing of the attitude or the emotion then leads to the physical healing. And this is clearly demonstrated here. Verse 19, And they, they rose up, so her and her husband, uh, in the morning, early, and worshipped before the Lord. 
So now she's able to actually worship together with her husband. There's been some sort of repair, perhaps in the relationship with her husband, where they could both go together to the Lord. It wasn't her husband's fault. It was something that only the wife, it was between, it was something that was only the wife was dealing with. But the Lord knows and the Lord is dealing with the situation here. And they returned halfway through 19 and came to their house in Ramah and Elkanah knew Hannah his wife and the Lord remembered her. In the beginning of her prayer to the Lord in her heart, she said, remember me to the Lord, remember me. And then we see sometime later the Lord did remember her. Of course he's never forgotten her. But we see then that God is answering her prayer. And 20, when it came to pass, when the time was come, about after Hannah had conceived that she bare a son and called his name Samuel, now Samuel means heard of God, saying, because I have asked him of the Lord. And uh, it's, it's amazing that she names then the child after the prayer. Really, this is my answer to prayer. So every time she called Samuel, she's saying, heard of God, so to speak. She's people. She would be rem- reminding herself that God has answered her prayer every time she called his name. Yeah, amazing. Um, if we jump down, we just to fill in some, some space here, she uh, then keeps feeding the child uh, and, until she's weaned him, and then she's offering him to the Lord. And so I would imagine this would be three or so years later, depending on how long uh, it was until she weaned him. Um, who knows, maybe she tried to breastfeed him as long as possible, you know, to keep that time that of closeness with her firstborn son. And in 26, she goes up to Eli all these years later. And she says, O oh my Lord, as your soul lives, my Lord, I am the woman that stood by you here praying unto the Lord. For this child I prayed, and the Lord has given me my petition which I asked of him. Therefore also I have lent him or granted him to the Lord. As long as he lives, he shall be lent to the Lord. And he or they worshipped the Lord there. So just to add extra confirmation how the Lord has healed her heart, Remember how she was so grieved because of the fact that she couldn't have a child and she didn't eat. Then we know that the Lord did something in her heart where she did eat and wasn't so downcast anymore. But now she's giving away the very thing that she prayed for. And she's happy to do it more blessed to give than to receive. And this goes to show, in my mind, how much the Lord has healed her heart, that it's not to do with your situation necessarily, but your attitude regarding the situation. 
It's a, a wonderful healing has taken place there. And then she goes into this amazing prayer, which we don't have time for, but an amazing uh, turnaround of events. If we then go to chapter 2. Well, the other thing here is she's putting God first. She's really putting her desire to have children behind the desire to serve the Lord by giving away her firstborn son. I guess a little bit like how God gave away his firstborn son. And here, sometime later, she goes up every year to meet her son and she's made him this little coat. And and so every year she would make him a coat and give it to Samuel to wear. Now, she hasn't had any other children at this stage. Maybe she's measured on other children similar age, I don't know. But by faith she makes this little coat and maybe she has to increase the size year by year as she then makes the way to Shiloh and then present the coat to her son Samuel. And she's, maybe she's reminded that God, every time she sees him once a year, how God answered her prayer and she's happy to see him happy to make him this coat. And then during one of the visits, in verse 18, Samuel ministered before the Lord, being a child, girded with this linen ephod. And moreover, his mother made him a little coat and brought it unto him from year to year when she came up with her husband to offer the yearly sacrifice. And Eli blessed Elkanah and his wife and said, The Lord give you seed of this woman for the loan which is lent to the Lord. And they went unto their own home. So now this is Eli's time maybe to see the faithfulness faithfulness of this woman and then to maybe step out in faith here and say, well, the Lord's going to bless you. you know. And it's the Lord who blesses, not, not us. It's from the Lord here. And 21, and the Lord visited Hannah so that she conceived and bare three sons and two daughters. So how many children is that? Five. Five from this, you know, she gave one away and then she had five more. Five is the number of grace. Hannah means grace. And in her conversation, in her prayer, she calls herself a handmaid five times. So permeated through this little story here is the grace of the Lord. It's an amazing. And it goes on to say at the end of 21, and the child Samuel grew before the Lord. And this is like our prayers. We can plant a seed, and that's the prayer in a sense. You plant the seed in the ground. And you may continue to pray about that, which is a little bit like watering that seed, perhaps. God has the ability to increase that, like Samuel grew before the Lord. And a little bit also like this little boy, when Jesus had to feed these 5,000 men, and all they had were five loaves and two fishes. And this little boy... Perhaps he offered it. I'm not quite sure how 
we don't know, but he had this little boy had five loaves, two fishes, and perhaps he offered them to the disciples and said, look, this is all I've got. And sometimes that's our prayer. Sometimes we think this is all I've got, this is all I can give to the Lord. But the Lord has this amazing ability to whatever we give to him, to take that and do something miraculous with that. And what we can get in return, whether it's months or years or however long down the track, we're actually able to, the Lord is able to return the investment much, much greater than the actual sacrifice of prayer or whatever we gave to the Lord. And with that example about that little boy that giving the fishes and the loaves, you'll find it in John chapter 6. You'll see that Jesus then fed everyone and they had 12 baskets remaining. Our prayer is just like this. And so God answers prayer. It may not be in your timing or our timing. It may not be in the way that we've considered. It may be some left-field situation coming in. But the bottom line is God answers prayer. And uh, amen. I'll leave it there. Thank you. Thank you.